Full night in the association. We'll run it all down for you. And the refs have been in the news recently. We're going to do what people do and complain about them. <laughs> we are going to do that. And we're going to talk about Drew Holiday possibly being traded away from New Orleans. It's the Wednesday Locked On NBA podcast. Let's go. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Wednesday, hump day, and we're going to get you through it. It's the Wednesday Locked On NBA podcast, and we're your Wednesday hosts. I'm John Corrales. I'm the host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Nola Jake, and also now the host of the Pelicans official Twitch show on the fly over at twitch.com slash Pelicans NBA. Official, man. You are official. official. I love it. Uh, all right, full night in the in the association. Not so many great matchups, but a couple of fun ones. Let's just get this one out of the way. Hornets beat the Kings 110-102. Uh, De'Aaron Fox was back, and he played pretty decent game coming off the bench, playing 30 minutes and scoring 19 points. Not enough, though, as the Hornets win 110-102. Now, Malik Monk, by the way, 23 points off the bench, outshining him, but Fox getting that workload in early, that's kind of impressive. Yeah, I thought he was going to be on a minutes restriction, but not very restricted, but nice to see him back. Uh, they, that, that's going to really help them out and, and hopefully that, that kind of spurs them a little bit, but not enough tonight as the, the Hornets win that game. Probably the best game of the night. Uh, Pacers win 105-102. Over the Los Angeles Lakers, the Lakers uh, did not have Anthony Davis. They also missed four free throws down the stretch, and the Pacers were able to take advantage. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon hitting a crazy reverse layup down the stretch uh, to to win the game in the final seconds. Yeah, this this was a fun one actually. Like, give the the Pacers a lot of credit for winning this one, but you also kind of have to be impressed with the Los Angeles Lakers. No Anthony Davis. LeBron just did not have his jumper going at all. He finished eight of twenty from the field, twenty points. But when you get ten of ten from Dwight Howard for twenty points, you had Rajon Rondo throw an absurd pass late in the game. Like they fought hard despite kind of having an off night and missing their second best guy. Like this is a you know, moral victory for him, I guess. Yeah, and, and they just had a long uh, road winning streak snapped. So, yep. uh, but uh, credit to the Pacers who went out and, and basically just went and won this game. Uh, Lakers, obviously one of the best teams in the NBA right now, and the, and the Pacers still fighting to get that respectability. DeMontis Sabonis was, was the real key in this game. 26 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, the Pacers bigs taking advantage of Anthony Davis not being there. Miles Turner had 16 points, 5 of 9 shooting, 3 of 6 from 3, which is a, a real big bonus for them. Just a nice win for the Pacers. Like the, the Pacers. Yeah. Are, go ahead. No, it's just like well coached team that tries really hard and like that's going to get you a bunch of wins when you have some talent and they're doing this without Oladipo. Yeah, so shout out to the Pacers who have come up with some big big wins recently um and and are are really fighting for that respectability. Not getting the respectability. The Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> oh my god, they're so oh god. bad. I I I don't know why they're this bad. They're, they shouldn't they be. They shouldn't, shouldn't be, be this bad. But they are and they just lost to the Knicks. <clears throat> 
143 to 120. Uh, 143 to 120, the Knicks whipped off a 21 nothing run that spanned the first and second quarter. Now, Trey Young did have 42. Uh, no one else did much, uh, for the Hawks. The Knicks got, uh, 27 from RJ Barrett. They got 22 from Marcus Morris. They got 22 from Mitchell Robinson. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, they believe, are career highs uh, early in their careers. Obviously, Barrett's a rookie. So, um, yeah, that was ugly. The Knicks average 101 points per game. They put up 143 in this one, which tells you all you need to know about the Hawks' defense and how bad it is. I think this is the highest amount, the largest amount of points the Knicks have scored since, like, 1980. Oh, God. I may I may have misread that last stat, but you know what? I'm going to roll with it, and it sounds right. Whatever, whatever. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. Uh, Utah Jazz beat the Orlando Magic 109-102 in the other decent game in this. Um, it was a uh, nice night for Donovan Mitchell, 30 points, 30 points also for Boyan Bogdanovich, and the, uh, the Utah Jazz get a much-needed win. Yeah, Mitchell was awesome in the fourth quarter in this one. It was close. I think it was tied at like 101 or something like that. And he really went out and kind of took over the game, scored 10 of his 30 in the fourth quarter. Bogdanovich, 12 for there. The Magic needs some more three-point shooting so, so badly. They finished 7 of 35 on the night. And when you have guys like Evan Fournier going 0 for 8, Vucevic, who I saw the other night just walking out on the street near Bourbon Street, by the way, go 2 for 8. <laughs> and yeah, Terrence Ross go 1 for 5. You're going to be in for a rough night. They need some consistent three-point shooting. Uh, in the game that really just about ended here, one twenty ninety nine Clippers beat the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Jake, breaking news, the Clippers are better than the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, that's about going to sum this one up, though. Kelly Oubre Jr. kind of looking like a steal for the Suns, and yeah, that's about it. No Devin Booker for the Suns, which probably doesn't help them in this one, though. That does not help. The Clippers got 24 from Paul George, 20 from Kawhi, 20 from Lou Williams. Uh, I want to take like this Kelly Oubre victory lap because I kind of felt like he was going to have a good season. Um, I said it before the season started on Twitter. I'm, I'm not right very often about things like this. So I just want to be like, good yay for me for saying something nice about Kelly Oubre. He's having a good season. All right. Did you, then, uh, did you hear the shot that, uh, Doc Rivers took at LeBron in the Lakers before the game? No, I didn't hear that. Uh, they asked Ooh. him about, lo- so LeBron is not doing load management and it said he's not doing load management. And so they asked Doc Rivers about the Clippers load management and the Lakers not doing it. And his line was something like, that's their philosophy and this is ours. And we have differing takes on this. He goes, but their philosophy also just seems to be whatever LeBron says. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> and then. We're gonna say we save this game for last. Brooklyn Nets 108-101 over the New Orleans Pelicans. The New Orleans Pelicans are your team, Jake. So they this are. Is all you, buddy. 
Yeah, 13 game losing streak for the Pelicans is what they're on now. Neither team shot well in this one. Pel shot under 35%. The Nets shot under 42%. And it was a close game. 93-93. And we'll set the scene in the next segment and really dive into that. Basically just Nets were a little bit better than New Orleans in this one. Brandon Ingram got off to a slow start though he finished with 22 points. Drew Holiday, who we're also going to talk about, slow start, but turned it on a little bit late. Biggest story probably from New Orleans is Jackson Hayes, the rookie center, looking pretty good. 13 points on the night off the bench, um, including hitting his first three ever, which ties him for the most threes made with Shaq um, for their career. So that was kind of cool, too. He's going to be a, a big, important player for this Pelicans team going forward. And the Pelicans are bad, so they should probably play him a bunch. Nets were better. Simple. <laughs> Net, nets were better. Yeah, uh, Spencer, we'll talk about the rest of this in a minute. <laughs> Spencer Dinwiddie had 31 points for the Nets. Jared Allen, 12 points, 6 blocked shots, 14 rebounds. And then Joe Harris added 24 points on 5 of 9 shooting from 3. So that's your too long, didn't watch, night in the NBA. As Jake said, there were other things to come out of this game. It really was a very New Orleans-heavy night in the NBA because not only did we have this game, we also had uh, officiating controversy and trade rumors. So those, both of those stories are coming up in the next two segments, starting with the officiating when we come back on the Locked On NBA podcast. As we just said before the break, uh, officiating was a thing in this uh, Pelicans game. A couple of things. Let's start with the the big thing, Jake. The missed uh, <laughs> um, the missed shot clock violation. This is a beauty because they didn't call the shot clock violation. Therefore, they couldn't review the shot clock violation. But if they had just called it and said, okay, we're going to go see, it's, it's so confusing now. What, what can and can't be reviewed? I don't know if this would have made a difference in the game. And I'm not one to blame the refs for wins and losses. I always say, if it comes down to an official's call, then you could have done other things to win the game. But at the same time, this is just another thing in a trend of just mind-boggling officiating. You go all the way back to the James Harden dunk that wasn't a dunk. You go to the uh, LeBron James travel where he just stopped <laughs> dribbling the ball and carried so it for three egregious. steps. And then something like this, which it's just so obvious. There is a serious trend of officiating issues here that somehow – cannot be reviewed in this age of not only review, but challenges. Yeah, so I know you said you don't like to blame the refs on things, but that's what we do here in New Orleans over a, you know, over a multitude of sports. So please have a seat in my office here and let me set the scene for you all. Uh, it's the end of the Pels game. It's 93-93. You have Spencer Dinwiddie with the ball pounding the rock at the top of the three-point line on the right side of it. Good defense is played. He's got four seconds left in the game, but the shot clock doesn't equal that. Launches a three. 
It doesn't touch iron whatsoever, goes straight down. And if you look at it, when the shot clock kind of, when the buzzer goes around the, the, um, the backboard there, there's two and a half seconds left. It should be a shot clock violation. The Pelicans have a timeout so they can advance the ball. Look, you at least have a chance. Like you said, maybe you don't win the game. Maybe it doesn't impact anything long term. But you've got to give the team the, the the opportunity to at least miss that shot, which given that the Pels shot under 35%, they were likely going to do in this one. Sure, but still, sure. you got to kind of give them the opportunity to do so. I don't know if this counts as one screw-up or two because, as you said, since they didn't call a shot clock violation, there's nothing to review. So missing the call and, not, and having a no call, and we love crap like that here in New Orleans, is a screw-up. And probably not being able to review this is a screw-up, which maybe isn't the specific ref's fault, but just an NBA thing. But like you said, it, it, we shouldn't have rules for necessarily like what's reviewable and what isn't. Maybe certain things you can't like touch. But like at, at the end of the day, review there is to get the call correct. So let's get the call correct, even if it maybe kind of falls out of sort of the outside of the scope of what this is intended for, right? Yeah, I, I just I understand that you can't have a system where every little thing falls under review because the games will take five hours. Yes. So I, I no get, one wants that. I don't want that. No, nobody wants that. But we we now live in a system where these reviews are happening. There's, if, if this situation isn't something that screams, get the call right, then just throw the entire system out. Just say enough is like, it's not working. No replay reviews, no nothing. Just go with what you see because it just feels almost arbitrary where you can rec- you can review certain calls in this situation. You can't review it in this situation. And what's going to end up happening is the officials on the floor just you might as well just blow the whistle and call the reviewable thing. And if it's not that thing, then you at least looked at it. it, it- no, I'm with you. And it seems like certain things maybe you should be able to review no calls or at least use maybe your challenge. I don't remember if Gentry had one or not, but I don't even think this is something you could challenge because this is like a pretty cut and dry thing. Like that, that ball didn't hit the rim at all. And you need to get that call right. Even if it's a no call, you should be able to look at it and review it rather than just overturning calls that happen out there on the court. The the whole thing that we've seen over the past couple of weeks with this and the officiating there, it's just not been good. And you never want officiating to kind of be the story. And it's been a big story in the NFL this year. You don't want to follow the, that trend whatsoever. And on top of it all, you have this sudden refs versus players <laughs> thing that's happened. So everybody remembers the Chris Paul pointing at Jordan Bell saying, his shirt's untucked, his shirt's untucked. And that was a delay of game penalty. Well, the next game, Chris Paul got dinged for uh, an untucked shirt. And now and now it's just happening all the time. It happened in this, in, in your Pelicans game, where Wilson Chandler got hit with it. And then it happened the other night when Alfred Payton got hit with it. And it was Tony Brothers who said it is on camera you you can hear him say you can thank Chris Paul for that so i i i just 
don't believe that we're even at this point where now the officials are pissed that Chris Paul made a scene that that call was made and then now it looks like the officials are like, all right, if you want that call made, Mr. Head of the Players Union, we're just going to call it every damn time. How do you like that? They called it in this game. They had it on Wilson Chandler in overtime after Garrett Temple got a delay of the game earlier on for slamming the basketball on the court. He got one for having an untucked jersey in this one. It didn't ultimately end up swinging anything. But, like, you don't want a game decided by something like this, right? No. And this goes back to last year. Remember, what was it? The ref's Twitter account started doing something, too, where they were like, we're going to tweet. Like, they were, like, openly tweeting things out. They still kind of do it. And aren't they doing, like, a sidecast kind of thing? I don't know the specifics. But it's like they are, like, entrenching themselves in a foxhole here in their own camp on things and, like, kind of coming out aggressive, which is, like, again, the last thing you want with all of this stuff. It's it's kind of ridiculous, and and I want to be clear on something. I actually do appreciate the difficulty of an official's job. I got to sit courtside uh, when the Celtics visited Phoenix, and they are one of the few teams that still have visiting media seats at the scorer's table. So I got to sit right there and and listen to how much they got – abused by each coach, every player, every call, everything was an argument. And really one of my takeaways was officiating a game is difficult. I can appreciate the difficulty of that job. What I'm saying right now is there's no need to make it more difficult because it this is becoming adversarial. These refs are basically telling the players like, Chris Paul wanted this, so here you go. And I don't, I don't even like – I kind of don't blame them, but at the same time, it, the, you've got to be bigger than that. Uh, I, I'm, I don't think Chris Paul should have been rewarded at, at, at first. <laughs> I was just like, is that just like a blanket statement or is it like, just in regards just, to this? In general, I just don't think Chris Paul should be rewarded <laughs> for anything. But when he first made that call, like, oh, his jersey's untucked, like, you, you just shouldn't have done that. Because he checked in with an untucked jersey. He was going to the free throw line. There was no actual delay of the game. Like, that's just a dumb rule that I think is just going to probably, I would assume, get thrown out. Because there's no point to it. No, so I'm going to disagree with you on one thing, and that's that they, these refs are hard and all their job's hard. No, they're all garbage. I could do a better job. You can pull anyone out of the stands. They could do a better job, and all of these guys should be fired. If you'd, if you'd allow me to digress into a personal story here, this is back when Derrick Rose was at Memphis his one year, and I went to Tulane University. They were playing on campus, and I was in, like, the front row underneath the basket just yelling at the refs the whole game as a very – stupid undergrad and one of the refs asked me he goes you should want to he goes i'll trade places with you you've got a beer in your hand i'll come out in the stands you take my job so i took off my shirt and i offered it to him and i told him to give me his because i thought i could do a better job than him oh is that the end of the story that's the story (laughs) the other ref told me to go study I was hoping, I was hoping that at some point he let you make a call somehow. No, I, I think it might have been kind of like this whole pushback thing. Like they were uh, probably not calling anything. Also, I don't think we were even remotely in that game. Uh, either way, seriously, the officiating, the officiating, 
like there's there's an issue here and i i just think it's it's been egregious we'll have to see how that gets sorted out because the last thing the nba wants is officiating to be part of the conversation what they want is trade stuff to be part of the conversation because the fans love it and that gets them engaged. And another thing, this is like the Jake Madison show. Sometimes like the stars align for us. You remember when we were doing the, the, the Thanksgiving Eve podcast? It was supposed to be the return show. We oh, only yeah. got like half of that. Yeah. Well, this is, this is now your, like you get the whole thing because Drew Holiday could be on the trade block. That's the other thing from the Pelicans that we need to talk about. We're going to do it next on the Locked On NBA podcast. Hey, if you're looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to BreakingTea.com slash LockedOn. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around teams' passion moments. Great for all fans. Go to BreakingTea.com slash LockedOn, and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts. Maybe don't buy a Drew Holiday shirt just yet, though, because it's possible, maybe, that Jake... Your starting point guard could be on the move some point between now and the trade deadline. Yeah, so this came from Mark Stein of the New York Times basically saying that the Pelicans are looking to potentially be sellers at the trade deadline. And given they're on a 13-game losing streak and have just six wins, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense here. They're not going to be moving Zion or Brandon Ingram. They're not really looking to necessarily move J.J. Redick, though I think that's a distinct possibility too. But more or less everyone else, yeah, come on, make make your calls. And so from that, he implies that Drew Holiday is available for the right price. That right price is going to be very high, but the Pelicans aren't necessarily just hanging up the phone on teams that are calling about Drew Holiday, which probably happened this offseason. During the broadcast for this game between the Nets and the Pels, uh, David Griffin, who runs the team, went on to the broadcast and tried to throw some cold water onto these rumors a little bit. So I think that's got to kind of color our discussion here. But he didn't outright deny anything. He just basically said, we're not looking to actively trade Drew Holiday and we don't want to send him out. But that doesn't mean they're not listening to calls. Which And, and there's a distinction there. And look. Given where this team is, they should be listening to calls. But I'll tell you, the, the most interesting thing to uh, to me about this, and I said this on today's edition of Locked On Pelicans, is there's a really healthy respect, uh, mutual respect between Drew Holiday and this organization. He feels they did a lot right by him when he had to take a leave of absence when his wife uh, was pregnant with their daughter while also having a brain tumor. And I think he missed something like 15 games that season, and they were totally cool with it. They also pay him a lot of money. They really like him, too. They thought he's handled himself very professionally with all of this. So they're not going to trade him if he doesn't want to be traded. If he just flat out says, like, no, they're not even going to pick up the phone for him. So the fact that they're picking up the phone potentially, and it wasn't the, the pals that leaked this to Stein, means that he's open to this, which I think is a fairly significant development, all things considered. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going to go with this. I was going to say, um, if Holiday might be having kind of like enough of this situation where 
it's like, look, writing's on the wall. You see the, the team's not quite what we thought it was going to be. A lot of us thought they might be a playoff team or, or, or competing close, for, you know, at least you in know, the discussion, right? In, yeah. In, in that mix, fighting for, fighting for it potentially. And, and obviously things have not gone well. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that's okay. a, it's a safe way to put it. One way to put it, uh, being nice. So if Drew is sitting there saying like, all right, I, if, if, it works for you and you can get me to a winning situation, then I'm open to it. But I, 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 from, you know, better than I do. It seems like he's cool with new Orleans. Like he, he's enjoyed everything. Um, if he sticks it out this year, then he could get rewarded. I mean, he's 29 years old. So there's nothing that says I have to go. Um, he could stick it out and say, you know what? We, we're getting Zion back. We do have some good players. Maybe they make some other moves. We know that there's a plan. Uh, maybe, he, maybe he's just kind of like, if I don't know what team out there would be interested in him, but there are teams that could use a, an elite defender point guard, uh, that would maybe have what New Orleans wants. So yeah, it's possible. It's possible that he could, he could be on the move, but I I, I don't know. I'm kind of iffy on on whether it'll happen. Yeah. So I'd say it's not necessarily likely and it would take, you know, one of those godfather offers to get him away from New Orleans. I, you know, maybe this off season he gets moved and I'd say that's much more likely than during the season. But as we look at this trade deadline, you know, it seems like it might be kind of one of those quieter trade deadlines. Bradley Beal can't be traded. There's a lack of like discernible, like star power that can kind of get moved off of some of these teams that are obvious sellers. And with that middle to bottom of the West kind of muddled up as it is, you have teams that maybe should be sellers who aren't going to be because they think they can make a run. And that means we're likely going to have a quieter trade deadline than we do. So Drew Holiday maybe being the one difference maker or the biggest difference maker out there could drum up some of the bidding for him. I think you look at teams like the Miami Heat would make a lot of sense. I think Denver maybe makes the most sense. Even Phoenix could make some sense because I think he's a significant upgrade over a guy like Ricky Rubio who's actually playing pretty well for him. So if you can upgrade from that, I think that's a great thing. And, you know, those teams do have some young guys. They have future first round picks and that's what, and it's going to take minimum, you know, one young guy, one future first round pick, but likely more than that, particularly if you have multiple teams kind of in the running for it. But a guy who can give you 20 points on a nightly basis along with first team all defense is very valuable. And you add him to the right team, they become one of those teams that you're talking about potentially winning the NBA title. Because if you get that lockdown defender in the playoffs, and look what he did to Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum two years ago, yeah, that's a, that's a huge difference maker. So if he is on the move, he's probably the most coveted guy at the trade deadline and could potentially swing the title race a little bit. I, I just think – I keep looking at Denver. I just – I'm looking at Denver for all these different possibilities because <laughs> they just – they have – all of the possibilities, they have all of the talent, they have the picks, they have the package that would make sense, and a, a little bit of a consolidation of talent, especially for a guy like Holiday, the, the the defensive, the two-way play, I mean, just, 
It just works. It just makes so much sense, doesn't it? Like that's what they should go all in for. This dude's perfect for what they want. You probably need a little bit more consistency at the point guard position, even though he works a little bit better off ball. But yeah, you know, I think the interesting thing is like New Orleans has maybe broken him a little bit here. And I can tell you, it's kind of what we've been saying. His body language, his demeanor in the locker room after games is down right now. It, you know, and it's tough not to be when your team is six and 22 and you're riding a 13 game losing streak and you're a really good player. Like this just isn't what you want, isn't necessarily what you signed up for. So again, it's going to take a lot. Denver would need to give up a lot to bring him in, but it, I'm not ruling this, this out whatsoever. Um, I, I'm not either. A couple of other rumors that have popped up, and I just don't know where these go. Julius Randall in New York. <laughs> yeah, that goes uh, nowhere. <laughs> I don't think th- I don't think anybody is is moving uh for Randall. Stephen Adams in OKC is an interesting one that 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 keeps coming up because it doesn't seem like OKC is going to be able to move Chris Paul. Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to make a move for uh Gallinari. So Adams becomes the guy, but Adams makes $25 million. And I just don't know if there's a team out there that is going to make an offer. You've got to match that $25 million. I don't know how you give up something palatable to OKC for Steven Adams that it works for both sides. I, I just – Big guys that make that kind of money that are, are somewhat limited, like Adams is, and the stuff he does, he does very well, but he's also still limited. Uh, I, I don't know if he's gonna move either. No, and we've seen kind of those type of bigs, like, you know, aren't gonna help you necessarily in the playoffs, and he's got another year after this one at, you know, almost 28 million, 27 and a half million. That's tough for a team to swallow, and I don't think you'll see OKC give him up just for salary cap relief, meaning you've got to actually like include some quality in a trade going back to him. I think that can kind of be a big deal. I laugh at this Julius Randle one. One, like, oh, <laughs> the, like, uh, the fact that they want to trade him is like not the surprising thing, and I saw a little bit of the reaction on Twitter, and it's like, yeah, what, what did you think? I was watching – this this like haunted house story with my girlfriend last night about a guy who owned this like haunted ranch with like aliens and was so excited to sell it when like someone tried to buy it from him and that's like what this would be with with the New York Knicks and Julius Randle except no one's going to try and buy the haunted ranch because it's haunted <laughs> and that's like do you get the analogy I'm going for there? Uh, I, get right? like, I get it. Yes. Yeah, yes. of course he's on the trade block. You know, it's safe to throw guys on the trade block and when, when no one's going to trade for him, which is what it is with Julius Randle here. And he's like the one guy they signed that, you know, isn't an expiring deal and has guaranteed money next year. Like, good job, Knicks. <laughs> Although you, you guys won tonight and looked good and put up a ton of points. So, hey, I'm going to laugh when this game, when you beat the like horrible Atlanta Hawks, is the reason you've decided to keep Julius Randle, which is probably how they're going to spin it, which is like what they're doing right now in such damage control. Oh, oh the Knicks. That's, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. That's a whole entire other podcast. I mean, we don't have time for that now. So let's just wrap this sucker up and say thanks to everybody who has subscribed. All of you new listeners, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And everyone else, please give us that five-star rating and a good written review. It really helps 
the show out. Keep us up there in the rankings. As always, on Wednesdays, I am one of your co-hosts here, John Corrales, at Reds Army underscore John on Twitter, and I co-host, or I host, the Locked On Celtics podcast. And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, and you can follow me on Twitter at Nola Jake. David Locke's got the Thursday show tomorrow. We'll see you next week here on the Locked On NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.